section. This isn't the graveyard shift, this is the resurrection shift. <laughs> so a lot of uh, people feeling fairly lethargic this morning. But we've got a pretty powerful topic to consider as our final study and to really reflect on what we've learnt about grace over the last week and to really arm ourselves now and to channel that um, that amazing gift that we've been given and the, the feeling of, of sometimes feeling overwhelmed by God's kindness. What we really need now is to, to focus and to channel that into service. And so this morning session, Growing Grace, we're going to see how we do that. And you might be surprised just how simple it's going to be. But also, I think you'll see that we really face quite an enormous responsibility as receivers of God's grace in any way, shape or form. We're going to see the the immense responsibility that we have now having tasted of this, this gift of grace. But just before we do that, I thought it might be helpful if we just quickly once again run through what we've seen. Just a reminder, just to, to get our brains into gear on thinking about grace. So we've seen the three stages of grace. We did a whiteboard session on those three stages, the manifold grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the exceeding riches of his grace. And we saw, didn't we, this process that God is taking through, taking us through. And each time he gives grace, he seeks that response. And each time as a part of that process, he's changing us and he's taking us, leading us to repentance through to perfect manifestation of himself, through the mental, moral and physical change that takes place during those three steps. We then saw about... (laughs) It's just to wake everybody up, all right? Does it happen in the UK? Back in Australia. Um, We then saw about the mindset of grace, didn't we? The grace paradigm, how that actually what's the most important in our service is what's going up in here. That our works will look the same, whether they're works of faith or works of law, they could be exactly the same. One could be condemned and one could be counted as righteous. And so we saw this mindset of one working hard to earn salvation like they can place God in their debt. Whereas the other mindset, the mindset of grace and faith is that one works hard out of gratitude, out of thankfulness, knowing that our efforts are completely insignificant uh, to what God has done. We also saw this very complex and difficult chart, didn't we, about our attitude and our mindset in terms of how we view things. God's standard. And not, not allowing ourselves to alter that standard just to make ourselves feel a little bit more comfortable. But allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable. And to say, well, God's standard is so high. We can never actually attain it. But you know what? That is what we want. That's what our desire is. That's what we want to be in the kingdom. We want to be perfect manifestations of the Father. And just because I can't achieve it, it doesn't mean that's the goal that I'm setting out for. Because this allows room for God's grace. And to remember that without God, we would be just completely nothing. 
And then in our last session that we looked at, we talked about suffering, didn't we? Now, suffering was actually a, a gift from God. And we could find purpose in that because we signed up to this and God is determined to see the work through. And the things that we, he allows, the experiences in our lives, he's able to bring good from it. And he's able to use it and channel it in order to get that end result in us, the perfect manifestation. And we saw, didn't we, that some of the things that we might be experiencing, but to find comfort that we are standing in the doorway to the kingdom of God as experiencing tribulation. And now we come to, to grow in grace. Now I just want to, just the idea, this, this, this phrase, if you like, grow in grace, is taken from, from Peter and it has this idea of being enlarged or increased. And he's charging, charging us, if you like, to increase grace, to multiply it, to grow it now. Now we understand it. Now we've been touched by it, if you like, to now grow it. And the New Testament is just, is just filled with this idea. You see, here's all the, the words, if you like, that are related to grace in the New Testament. But in a lot of these words, and I've just sort of highlighted some of those, they are words which in, uh, give the sense of invoking a response to grace. You see the Greek word charis uh, up here. You see that that word is found in most of those words. To be joyful or to rejoice, to be thankful, to show gratitude. All those things are responsive actions to grace. As we have been shown kindness, we rejoice and have joy and we give thanks and we show gratitude and we show grace. All because of what has been done for us in direct response to God. And so we see this sense that as God has shown grace to us, as we saw, didn't we, in, in, uh, in 1 Peter 4, when we talked about the manifold grace of God, that we then become stewards of this grace. We become, is this hard for me to compete with? <laughs> or is everyone okay? You can concentrate okay? I can turn it down. <laughs> or I can shout. So each person then becomes like a steward of grace. And you can just, I want you to picture this in your head, that there's a, there's a large table which is full of good things. And we're the stewards. We're the, the waiter or the waitress. And we go and we take from that table and we're distributing it. That's the picture that he's presenting. You are stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so whether that's to a work colleague or your family member, your mum and dad or your brother or sister, a friend, a spouse, a neighbour, your ecclesia, each one of those people or groups or whoever it is that we come in contact with, what's on the menu? We're serving grace. That's what we're doing. We are stewards sorry, of God's grace. So let's just have a look at that in a, in a few passages in Scripture. So just come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4.
2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15, it says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace, that the increased grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. So it has this idea that as grace grows more and more, then more and more people will return praise to God. So we, have, we can have a direct impact on the amount of praise and honour and glory that's attributed to God. How? By how much we are prepared to be stewards of this grace. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Actually, I really wanted to read this from the ESV. Does, does anyone have an ESV? That they, and they would like to come up and read 10 verses? Yep, thank you. Great. Um, it's, it's particularly good in the ESV. So we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 9. And if you five to the end of the chapter. Yeah. And just just take in what the what the chapter is saying. Just try and really get a sense for this idea of as we've received this responsibility now to distribute this this grace. So two Corinthians nine verse five to the end. So I thought it necessary to urge you the brothers to go on ahead up to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as a exaction. Exaction. Anyway, verse 6. That's like a transaction. Remember we talked about that? Yeah. Not receiving it willingly as a gift, not, not some transaction that you have to make, but a willing, but it's something that's willing. An exaction. Okay, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God. Loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiently in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteous endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply his seed for growing, for for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of submission, following from your confession of the gospel of, of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for, for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his in, inexpressible gift. Thanks for that, Nick. Sneak, isn't it? Yeah, good. 
Um, so you can see he's actually, he's actually using the analogy of a, a sower and the increase that's, that's given. Uh, as you receive seed and you plant it, then, then, then you might get, well, the parable itself, some 40, some 60, some 80, some 100 fold. So there's this increase that happens when, when um, we are multiplying, if you like, the grace of God. And actually through there, you'll, you'll notice, you might have picked up, that Paul is actually talking about the collection that he's taking up. But he's using that as an example of our own grace and salvation that we've received. So he's using the, the things that, you know, as we've been blessed, so we give. He's saying in the exact same way, we can, we can use that in the same way to, to provide grace in any sense. So there's this idea of multiplying grace. Okay, so I'll just summarise that. <clears throat> we have this responsibility to spread and to multiply grace so praise and glory will be returned and multiplied back to God. We need to take on this idea of being a steward. Now, in, the, uh, in a couple of classes we've looked at, if you'll remember, the, the two times that Christ uses the word grace and teaches about grace. Now what we're going to do is we're going to go back to those two instances, so Luke 6 and Luke 17, but I want to take a little bit more notice and see now through the eyes of our responsibility to grace. So let's begin with Luke chapter 6 and see if we can start to see how we can be practising grace and how much responsibility it now places on us. Remember we were in Luke 6 and we read, we, really, we read from 27 all the way through to 36 about loving your enemies um, for verse 32 because if you love them which love you, what grace have you? That's, that's not grace. And we got to verse 35 and it said, well, and the reason why is so that you could be the children of the highest for God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. And so we were exhorted in verse 36 to be merciful, therefore, as our Father is merciful. So in that particular way. And then he carries on. Verse 37. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. So just, we'll just stop there for a minute and just, just admire that picture of grace just in itself. About this measure that God meets to us. Did you see the description of it? It's an old term, you know, when you went to buy like a cup of, of flour or grain or something. And you see the guy and he grabs, a, grabs it and he... And he takes it, he says, first of all, a good measure. So he takes into the sack and, it, and, it's, and it's bulging over with, with grain or food. And then he gets it and he presses it right down to see, make sure we get as much in there as we can. Presses it down and then he shakes it a little bit more, see if we can get more down. And then it puts a bit more and it's just running over. 
That's the measure of grace that's shown to us. A beautiful picture. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. But look at this sobering thought. The end of 38. For with the same measure you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. So just think about what that means. So here we are and we've all come here because we've responded to God's grace. And whatever stage of life we're at, it depends on where, what stage of grace we might be at. But either way, God is seeking a response from us. But in that response, he wants to see the same grace that's been shown to you. He wants your, a part of that response that he is seeking is to see his own grace manifest in your actions. He needs to see that same love, that same kindness that he's shown to you and to me for you to show to others. So we can see now it starts to place some emphasis back on ourselves. We're now responsible. We've tasted of this heavenly gift. Luke chapter 17, come to the second passage where Christ was speaking about grace. Let's just look at what, well, why Christ gave this little story. What was it in response to? The story of the unprofitable servant having done all that was commanded of him. What was it in response to? Why did Christ tell that story well in verse 3 he said to his disciples take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee rebuke him and if he repent forgive him and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying I repent Thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. We're struggling with that. So he gave that story. Well, what, what sort of perspective do you need in order to be able to forgive your brother seven times in a day? Well, it's easy. Just remember that we are unprofitable servants. We will never do enough to place God in our debt. So he gives the story of the servant and the master. Come over to Matthew chapter 18. We were here with um, Mike just a couple of days ago. Yesterday, in fact. About how we deal with with faults um, between each other and how we we should address one another and and try and recover each other from, from going astray. And he concludes that section in verse 20 and says, For where two or three, so Matthew 18 verse 20, are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And then Peter came, Peter, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? So we've got a similar question. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times. But until 70 times 7. And then he gives this story. Look at how powerful this story is 
in relation to what we've learned about grace, in relation to having this mindset of just what God has done for us. The kingdom of heaven, therefore, verse 23, is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. When he began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. It actually doesn't sound that much. Has anyone got any ideas how much that might be? Say if it was, say, currency or gold in today's time. It's about 27 grand, isn't it? No. I've got 61,000. I went for a guess. <laughs> 61,000? Isn't a talent 20 years wage? So 10,000 is 200,000 years wage. Roughly, yep. That's right. So anything from... So if we take them to be... I mean, it, the, the reality is it doesn't matter. It's the difference between the two. But anything from about 72 million to about 3 billion is the estimate. That was based off a of gold standard of 1992. What it means is, is that it's a, an amount that one could never pay back, isn't it? That's all it means. It's an amount that you could never pay back. And so here comes a man who owes 10,000 talents. And for as much as he could not pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And he said, verse 26, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Any takers on, on that, roughly? A hundred days wages. A hundred days wages, that's right. A hundred days wages. So it's not, it's not insignificant. You know, for you and I who, would, who are out and we've, we've been wronged by someone for a hundred days wages... I mean, that's not insignificant, but it's insignificant when you've been forgiven an unrepayable debt, isn't it? So he laid hands on his throat and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. Verse 31, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and said unto their Lord, All that was done, and the Lord after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Are you thinking God forgiving us and us to each other? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. Look at this sobering verse, verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. God requires us to show the same grace to each other that he has shown to us. It's our responsibility. It's part of the response that he needs in order to heap further grace on us. 
It's the way in which we demonstrate to God that we're thankful for what he's done, that we're grateful, that we do appreciate what he has done for us. That is the way we demonstrate to God that we are ever so grateful is by showing this same grace one toward another. So our response must include showing grace to others. It is a demonstration of our thanksgiving and gratitude for what God has done for us. Now, just how do we do that? How do we show grace one toward another? We'll come over now to 1 Peter. And what we're going to do now is just spend a little bit of time actually working our way through 1 Peter. Now, we're not going to go through all the verses in 1 Peter, if you're worried. But we'll spend a little bit of time just working our way through here because what Peter is going to show us is that it's our day-to-day relationships which present us with excellent opportunities to show grace. And every day, even here at the conference, or if you're at work or at home, you will be presented, I could almost guarantee it, with an opportunity every day to show your gratitude and thankfulness to God. And it will be in your daily relationships. Peter um, has this theme of, of suffering to glory. But he also is, is showing us how this suffering idea and, and being gracious is, is part of what grace is. And in 1 Peter 2 verse 3, he, he says, If so be that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And he's going to go on to say, well, now that we're in this position, and this is where we've got to, we've tasted that God is gracious. We understand what he's done for us. Okay, now what do we do with it? How do we respond? We took our reading from verse 18 of, of, sec, of 1 Peter 2. So 1 Peter 2 and verse 18. And in this particular case, it's, it's addressed to servants. Or employees, you might like to call it. Be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward or the evil or the unjust. For, verse 19, for this is grace. That's our Greek word for charis. That's that's grace. For this is grace. For a man, for conscience toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, he says, if when you're buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. If you do the wrong thing and you receive punishment, well, what, what good is that? But if when you do the right thing, if when you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently... This is grace with God. That's grace. When you experience having done, having done the right thing and you experience that someone does the wrong thing to you and you endure it and you take it, that is grace. Because why? What is grace? 
kindness to the undeserving. But now it gets real. Because now it's the wrong has been done to us. And what's the reason? How is this grace? Verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called. This is our calling, young people. That's, that's why we've been called. To receive wrong and still do good. Because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example that we should follow. He did no sin. He didn't do anything wrong. Neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So we're following the example of Christ. And people didn't treat him very well. People didn't do the right thing by him. He experienced all this and suffered from the evil, from the unthankful, as God does. And yet he still responded with kindness. And so here he's saying, well, take that attitude. Let this same mind, the mind of Christ, be in you. Well, as employees to your employer, you won't always work for someone that does the right thing by you and looks after you. And the world is, is screaming to you that you have rights that you shouldn't take that. And, that, and, if you wanted to, and if you wanted to not accept it, that's fine. But you've lost your opportunity to show grace. Because you can only show grace when people do the wrong thing by you. When you're suffering for no fault of your own. And so the context from verse 13 also is the same. Submit yourselves... To every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king or supreme or governors or unto them that sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Submit yourselves therefore as subjects to the laws of the land or to the king or to those in authority. And it doesn't matter whether they do the right thing or the wrong thing by us as a community. Mike talked about that, doesn't it? We don't, we don't stand up and say, hey, that's not right. You can't do this to us. No, we accept that. We submit ourselves to authority because it's an opportunity for us to show grace, to show kindness to the undeserved. Now he continues on in 1 Peter 3 now in verse 1. Have you ever noticed how it starts? It's following straight on. Likewise, likewise ye wives. Well, likewise what? Likewise, show kindness when it's not deserving. Be in subjection to your own husbands. This may come as a surprise, but not every husband is perfect. They are going to do the wrong thing. And, and we can fall into this trap of responding and only giving kindness in our relationships as we receive kindness. <coughs> eye for eye, tooth for tooth. No. 
This is saying, likewise ye wives. Come over the page. First Peter 3 now and verse 7. Likewise ye husbands. He's saying we're all under this same, we're all under this same idea. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honour unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. We're not, we're not responding to the wrong that's done to us in those relationships. We are responding to what God has done. And verse 8, finally, be ye all, no one's exempt here, in every one of your relationships, every person, brother or sister, to brother or sister in an ecclesia, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love of brethren, be piteous, be courteous. Verse 9, not rendering evil for evil. Don't respond to the person that's showing an action to you that you might not like. But contrary-wise, the exact opposite, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit the blessing. You see this, don't you, in ecclesial life where we're, we're not acting like Christ is because of what some other person in the meeting has done or what some other friend has said about us. And so that hurt that we've experienced, we're just used to justify bad behaviour. And in our minds, we're totally fine with that. That, that unkind action that we've just committed is totally justified in our own mind because of what that person did or said or didn't do to us. And Peter's saying that is not grace. That is not grace at all. He continues in chapter 4. For as much then, verse 1, as Christ hath suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Be prepared. Be prepared that you are going to suffer in your relationships, whatever it is, at work or at uni or in the ecclesial life or at family. People, surprise, surprise, are going to do the wrong thing. And it's going to affect you and hurt you. But arm yourself with the mind of Christ. For he hath suffered in the flesh. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Verse 12 of chapter 4. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And verse 16, for if any suffer as a Christian, in other words, if you are doing the right thing, if you suffer as a Christian, of course you're going to suffer if you go out and murder someone, he says in the previous verse. Well, that's, that's not grace to endure the, the punishment that you get from that. But if you suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Because here's your opportunity to be Christ-like, to show grace. And once again, coming into chapter 5, as we get to our last couple of examples, he now says to the elders, to those in a leadership position, and for us it might be a CYC committee, 
or a conference committee or whatever it is. But the elders which are among you I exhort, who also am an elder, he says in verse 1, and a witness, what does he remind them of? Of the sufferings of Christ. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Feed the flock. Not taking the oversight, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Have this same mind. Be prepared that when, you're, when you are in this position, you're going to work tirelessly for, for the good of those who you're, who you're, whose welfare you're seeking and you, you may not receive thanks from those people or gratitude. And people, despite your best efforts, may say things about you that you've, might not have done the best or whatever it is. Expect it, young people, and use it as an opportunity to show grace. And finally, in verse 5, likewise, likewise, again, ye younger. And here's the difficult one. Young people, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth, resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Is it difficult to submit to the elder? You know, we're, we're probably experiencing more generational change in our lifetime than all of previous human history. And I think it is relevant that we have a real task on our hands to accept the decisions of those in our meeting that might be elders or that might be in positions of authority that are making these decisions. And you know what? Surprise, surprise once again, they're not always going to get them right. The decisions the elders make in the ecclesia aren't always going to be right. And it might mean that the young people suffer because of it. You might find it difficult to accept. It might mean that it's not done the way you want it done. But here it says in Peter, submit. Here's your moment to show grace. Here's your moment to show kindness when it's not deserved. Submit to the elder and be subject one to another. So, this is true grace, isn't it? We saw that what credit is it if, we, if when we sin we're beaten for it and we endure, but if we do good and suffer for it, if, if someone wrongs us and we're able still to demonstrate that kindness... Well, this is grace. And so just coming to our chart as being stewards of God, what happens if we, just, if we just now zoom in a little bit and we see us now as the stewards, as administering grace in those relationships every day, whether it's family or as an employer or to our ecclesia, as we have received, we distribute as good stewards. But what's the challenge here? 
The challenge is when those people don't show the same (laughs) kindness to us. And return to us now is unthankfulness and evil and we feel hurt. And we can fall into this trap of only showing kindness to the ones that show kindness to us. Whether it's our friend that is always nice to us and does the right thing by us, well, well, we show them a level of kindness. But to that person or that person who's done this to me, we justify the fact that we are not being stewards of God's kindness to those people. And that young people is not grace. We need to, regardless of what the circumstances are, respond to God. Don't respond to your friend and the actions that they are that they might be giving to you, or your husband, or your wife, or your employer. Don't respond to them. Respond to God. Remember that. Don't respond to your circumstances. Respond to what God has done for you. So we see a summary of that section in 1 Peter, of grace in our relationships, whether it's as subjects to rulers, servants to masters, Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, brethren to brethren, elders to the ecclesia or the flock, younger to older, we submit and we show grace. Regardless of what they do in return to us, we, out of thankfulness and gratitude, show grace to God. Now, I'm just going to finish by reading these last few verses in Peter. And I think in Peter here we have a a beautiful summary of really all our studies that we've considered together in these last few um, verses here of 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll just go through it carefully and I'll let Peter, if you like, summarise our whole week together studying grace. Verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore... Under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Remember, the first will be last and the last first. Humble yourselves. Let God elevate us. We can't earn this. We allow God to give us this gift and do all we can to serve Him out of thankfulness. Verse 7. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. He's given his son that we might have hope. He's determined to fulfill in us his work. He cares for us. Be sober, verse 8. Be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith Knowing that the same afflictions, the same difficulties, the same suffering, the same trials, they're accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Everybody's going through the same thing. We're all struggling with different things in different ways. But the God of all grace, verse 10, the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you've suffered a little while, that's the summary of this life, just 
suffering a little while, what will he do? He'll make us perfect. He'll establish, strengthen and settle you. So here we have subject to one another, submit, humble ourselves, let God elevate us in due time, cast our care upon him. He does care for us. We all experience the same, a similar form of of this battle or affliction or suffering or whatever it might be. But in the end, God will make us perfect. He will make us perfect manifestations of himself. So Peter signs off now in verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this, this young people, is the true grace wherein ye stand.